This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Overcomers, God's Vision for You to Thrive in an Age of Anxiety and Outrage, written and narrated by pastor and best-selling author Matt Chandler, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Hello, this is Russell Moore, and this is the Russell Moore Podcast. And this is our questions and ethics segment where I take your dilemmas about moral or ethical questions that you're facing and try to help you think them through. And remember, if you have a question, anything that you're facing in your relationships, your workplace, your family, your church, wherever, send it to me at questions at russellmore.com. And if you don't mind your voice uh, being on the podcast, uh, record it on your smartphone and, and send it along to me as an attachment. And remember, I'll always use a different name for you that I come up with unless you tell me to use your real name. Uh, so I'm going to take a question today from Hattie V. It's a pseudonym. I like the name, and I'll tell you why a little bit later on. And Hattie V writes to ask about my 15-year-old uh, crisis of faith, not 15 years ago, but when I was 15 years old. And what she's responding to is a section that I wrote about in the newsletter, the more of the point newsletter, about the, the Gallup survey showing this generational secularization that we're facing right now. And I talked about something I've talked about before. I talked about it in Courage to Stand book about being at the point of suicidal thoughts as a 15-year-old because of uh, a crisis of faith. And, and I said uh, there that it wasn't a crisis of intellectual faith. I mean, that it wasn't that I couldn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus or those sorts of things. I mean, I think that may have come a little bit of that later and certainly would have come if I had continued on the path that I was going. But it was, it was instead about the integrity uh, the holding together of the Christian faith because of the stuff that I was seeing in Bible Belt Christianity uh, with the racism covering up of racist thought and action, the uh, sexual uh, scandals that were being covered up where people would just move from pastorate to evangelistic association to another pastorate and just continue all of that stuff on. The political um, captivity of the church where you could you could see how um, choosing certain issues, making those things the Christian position and ignoring other issues uh, and how that just happened to line up with whatever political party was popular in that segment. You know, all of those things just caused me to say, well, if this is not real, if this is just the equivalent of uh, kind of a, a cultural expression of the things that we already hold along the lines of the way that people will say at a funeral, oh, she's better off now, she's not suffering anymore, when they don't really believe it, then that led me into a real crisis. If Jesus is just a means to an end, and the end is some political agenda or some cultural uh, sort of life, then that means that the universe is what nihilism would say it is. It's, it's just a death trap. It's a, a freak show and a horror zone, a haunted house. And that led me to a point of a real crisis. So Hattie V wants to know, how did you come out of it? And more than that, what can we do 
for the 15-year-old uh, boys and girls in our own lives who might be going through a crisis of faith. Okay, well, I, I wrote in the newsletter and then elsewhere how I came out of it and how I came out of it um, was maybe unique to me just because I was a, I was a reader. And, and because I had read so much of the Chronicles of Narnia, I was able to recognize C.S. Lewis as somebody I could trust and then was able to read his other stuff in a way that was, was able to, to lead me back to um, historic Christianity and out into the broader sort of a kingdom of God. I mean, mere Christianity is, is what saved my life uh, in, in more ways than one. Uh, so I would say, uh, I would say that's unique to a certain kind of person. What you need to know with everybody else is this. First of all, a crisis is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, we, we tend to use the word crisis when we're talking about uh, something awful and, and maybe even sometimes something that's unmanageable, that there's, there's nothing that we can, we can do about. But that's not actually what a crisis is. A crisis is a turning point. And it can go one way or the other. Uh, a crisis can go toward something destructive, or a crisis can actually uh, move toward uh, toward the next level of something that's good. And so, if you look through the scripture, how many of these crises are crises that Jesus actually sets the conditions for them happening? Uh, Elijah, uh, for instance, in, in the wilderness, where where God. Uh, says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then just lets that sit. Or Simon Peter, uh, there's just a whole series of crises that Jesus sets the conditions for. Uh, who do people say that I am? Accessory of Philippi. Well, that creates a crisis, not just the crisis of Peter saying, uh, thou art the son of the living God. But later on, when, as Jesus starts talking about the cross, Peter saying, we're, we're never going to let that happen to you. It's a crisis where Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan, you know. So the crisis, or you think of even, um, you think of even Thomas. Uh, Jesus has been hidden from him until the crisis takes place where Thomas says, unless I, unless I see those nail prints and, and put my fingers on them, I'm not going to believe. Well, that's a that's a real crisis, and it's a crisis that Jesus creates the conditions for by his strategic absence that he then answers by his strategic presence, and it's something that is written down for us. So the crisis is not necessarily a, a bad thing. So I, I um, noted in the newsletter the week after the one that, that Hattie V's talking about, there was a letter from one of my favorite living novelist, Leif Inger, who wrote Virgil Wander. It's a fantastic book. I really commend it to you. But he wrote, he wrote in and said, he agreed with me about what I was saying about what was happening uh, in the church culture and why it was happening. But he said, I just don't think it's the tragedy that you do. He said, because actually it's the, the people who aren't skeptics that I worry about because they're just seeing a lot of these really pathological and toxic things as being normal, and, and they're just sort of adjusting to them. Well, I agree with that to some extent, now, to a large extent. I would say if you don't have people who are alarmed at some of the things that, that go on and who aren't saying, how can this be consistent with Jesus Christ 
and with uh, the book of Acts and with uh, the rest of the canon, uh, then they're probably not paying attention. And so sometimes, sometimes uh, a crisis is just a realization of sort of a, a hidden cynicism giving, giving itself expression. But sometimes uh, a crisis is just an expression of fidelity and the fidelity doesn't know how to make sense of the, the reality that one finds. Somebody wants to be faithful and doesn't know how to under these conditions. And in those cases, what you need is someone to help guide you through this. Um, and so I would say, don't, don't take that necessarily as a, as a bad sign. I was uh, reading this uh, biography of Eugene Peterson, uh, A Burning in My Bones, uh, just finished it. Really, really good book uh, by Wynne Collins. And it, there was a part that stood out to me where uh, Eugene Peterson was with a group of other Christian writers, and they were talking about Salman Rushdie. I don't know if you remember him. He was the one who wrote the Satanic Verses, um, sort of a, a dissident from Islam. And there were radical Islamic groups, including the Ayatollah, who uh, put up bounties for his life for someone to, to kill him. And one of the writers in the room, she said to, to the others, I wish that someone took my writing seriously enough for death threats. And I was struck by that because sometimes what you're going to face with a, a kind of crisis of faith is not somebody who's going to end up an atheist or an agnostic or something like that. What you end up with is somebody who's actually taking uh, the gospel seriously and seriously enough to say, how can it be true with the things that I have seen? So the, the sort of person you ought to really worry about is the person who, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we've all seen this. Yeah, 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 Jesus is Lord. Yeah, I prayed the prayer. And then uh, they don't believe because they're living their lives out uh, in, in ways that, that have nothing to do with faith, but they're not alarmed by that. Uh, th that's not taking Jesus seriously enough even to be led to a crisis uh, of, his, of his apparent absence. So I wouldn't freak out about that. And I also wouldn't make sure that you don't, uh, if you have to bully to protect something, it isn't real. And everyone knows that. So if there's a sense of, uh, I'm going to be angry with you because you're questioning or because you're despondent or because you're in a crisis, that's not going to bring somebody back to the faith. So be very patient with somebody. Listen and talk to somebody and then try to diagnose what's going on. So if it's an intellectual crisis, Somebody who says, well, I don't know how miracles could be true, or um, I don't know how uh, Christianity can be true because of the things that I know about the world scientifically, or um, I don't know how, uh, what about the myths of dying and rising uh, gods, and, and how, is, how is the gospel not just a later appropriation of, of those things, or even things like, well, how are there so many religions in the world and why would the one that I happen to be born into be the right one? I mean, take those questions and those arguments seriously and don't be afraid of them. And so instead, 
say, if it's an intellectual question, well, let's study that together. Let's study that together and try to uh, direct that person towards some sound, good arguments, not caricatures. You're never going to get anywhere if you end up with something that's caricaturing uh, other views as being stupid or uh, as a conspiracy or, or whatever. That's not going to work. Instead, come in and say, so for instance, if somebody if somebody has questions about the resurrection of Jesus, uh, I'm going to say, okay, well, let's look at some, some things. So look at the arguments against the resurrection of Jesus. You know, I don't need to be afraid of those, those things. Look at them. They've been around since Pontius Pilate. But then turn and look at some of the best stuff that's been written about the resurrection of Jesus. Say, N.T. writes the resurrection of the Son of God. And there are, there are many, uh, many resources there. Not to say, oh, here's the knockdown argument, but to say, consider this. Consider this. And so uh, often what you're going to be doing is to, is to show that the caricatures uh, often are coming in this direction. So the idea, for instance, that there's not evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, when we have more evidence for the resurrection of Jesus than almost anything else uh, in the ancient world, or as much as anything else in the ancient world. So don't be afraid of those things. But if the crisis is like mine, more about authenticity and integrity, then I would say for the long term, for the long term, so not when the kid's 15, but when you're, you're sort of uh, trying to, to make sure that 15 years from now, uh, you don't have that sort of situation, then I would say show repentance. Uh, be willing to repent and to repent as publicly as you sin. Be more dogged about us than them. The way that Jesus in the New Testament uh, are, and frankly, the Old Testament is as well. Uh, so you're you're not uh, looking to have a sense where we are the good guys and they are the bad guys. So I focus on everything on the outside that's evil and wrong, even if I have to caricature it, and I cover up the things that are on the inside. Now that's not only morally wrong, but it also uh, it also communicates to people. Oh well, this is group protection, group polarization, spin control. Everybody can see that in every sort of carnal movement that's out there and they're going to they're going to conclude this is just another carnal movement. So be careful about that and then don't fall for movements and politics and partisanship and be as careful with fads as possible. Uh, you can't you can't entirely uh, stay away from fads. There are going to be things that are going to come through that people are going to be more interested in than uh, than other things. So, for instance, you know, in the seventies and eighties, and then again in the nineties for a while, um, end times became a big point of interest in in people's lives. Well, uh, I I'm not suggesting that if you were serving in ministry then, that you would not address end times. As a matter of fact, you might say the fact that there's interest in this means that I need to address it from a, a biblical standpoint. But you you address the questions, you don't fall in for whatever the, the particular fad is there in as much as you can help. 
But then also make sure, if you think of, there was a book by Dean Kelly years ago called uh, Why Conservative Churches Are Growing. It was contrasting evangelical, uh, conservative evangelical churches that were growing at the time with the older liberal mainline churches that were declining. And then of course later uh, virtually collapsed in terms of, of membership and said, why? And what Kelly said was, one of the reasons is that there's a higher standard expected of people. And the, the, the growth comes not by lowering the standards, but by heightening the standards. Not so high that people can't meet them, but high enough that people are, are able to, to take this seriously. Well, why does that matter? The reason it matters is because people are asking, is this real? Is this real? If this is not real, if this is just a, a helpful metaphor to help me to make sense of meaning in life or to line up my politics in the right way or whatever it is, then you can find other ways to do that. There's, there's no reason to give up a Sunday morning for that. So is it real? That's the question. So you look at, I mean, there was an article I read that a friend sent out to several of us arguing that uh, psychedelic mushrooms uh, must have been part of early Christianity. Uh, and there were various reasons that this person speculated that. But one of them was, you know, people were willing to fight lions and, and they were willing to, to go to crucifixion. Well, I think there's actually a different, um, there's a different explanation for the fact that people were able to go to their deaths with nothing to gain, nothing to gain, uh, I mean, at the time, Simon Peter is not thinking, ah, they're going to build a cathedral named after me. And uh, my, uh, I'm going to have at least two letters and I'm going to have a starring role in some other books in, in the best-selling book in, in the history of the world. It's, that's not what things seem to be heading toward at all. And no reasonable person would have said they were. And yet all of them were willing to die. Well, why? Because they knew it was real. They knew they had encountered the resurrected uh, Jesus. So that's long-term. Short-term, when you've got actually got the 15-year-old who comes to you and says, I'm having this crisis, don't dismiss their questions. Uh, and, and don't, if, if it is an authenticity and integrity thing, and they're coming to you with, I can't believe the things that I have seen, don't try to spin and to control that in a way, well, yeah, but what about somebody else on, on the outside? So if they're coming in and they're saying, look at all the sexual abuse that's been going on in evangelical churches, Roman Catholic churches, your response shouldn't be, yeah, but what about uh, Harvey Weinstein? Or what about Matt Lauer? Or what about all of these figures in the secular world? I mean, you're, that 15-year-old's going to know, well, yes, but the new birth is supposed to be real. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit is supposed to be alive. So there, there ought to be a distinction between the church and the world. Don't dismiss that. Grieve with that person about the, the realities that are there. And then also, I think a big part of it is just being there um, and, and listening to that person. I mean, you know, I talk a lot about uh, C.S. Lewis, and that was a big part of it. But another big part of it was a youth pastor who really didn't try to give me a lot of answers, although he would, 
uh, at some points. But the most important thing that he did was just sit there and listen to me. And um, there would be times when he would say, I don't think you're seeing this right. Uh, but it wasn't in a way that that tried to spin anything. He would just say, I think you're seeing all of this negative, but what you're not seeing is the presence of grace. I mean, and that, that was true. He was exactly right. But the most important thing was just the fact that he was he was there. And so then I would also say, you know, uh, Jonathan Haidt, the social scientist, has a really helpful book, uh, The Righteous Mind, that talks about, I don't agree with all of it, of course, but he is right, I think, when he talks about moral foundations theory, meaning that people have uh, almost like taste buds where there are certain things that, um, that resonate, that they frame things around them uh, more in terms of. And I think that you ought to pay attention to that in the 15-year-old or whoever this is that's having the crisis. And to say, is this somebody who's really highly attuned to maybe, in my case, highly attuned in, at that point, highly attuned to integrity? And so find positive examples of integrity in the life of the church. Uh, not Maybe not the church as it exists right now, but the church over the long haul of 2,000 years, and certainly integrity in the life of Jesus. Or maybe it's somebody who uh, coherence uh, is, the, is the sort of main foundation that, that they have, that they resonate with. Or beauty. Uh, there, there may be somebody who what, what really needs to be, that person really needs to be focused on is not arguments, but that person needs to be uh, focused on the beauty uh, of the gospel. And so find those things, just pay attention and listen uh, to that person and, and the shape of that person's life and demonstrate that. And then just, just live a different life, I would say. Be patient with that person and live a life that displays Christ-likeness and maybe more than that, the aspiration toward Christ-likeness so that you recognize where you fall short uh, of that. And point where you can to examples of people. And I'm not talking about celebrities uh, or, or, or those sorts of things. I'm talking about real people living, quote unquote, ordinary lives that that person can see where the, the evidence of grace and, and the life of Christ is evident. So I gave you, listener, the name of Hattie V., and the reason I did that is because this was a lady who grew up in my home church. Uh, she and her husband, Leroy. Um, uh, you know, they weren't the people who were uh, organizing the mission trips. Uh, they, they weren't the people who were up uh, giving their testimony and doing anything like that. Um, they were people who quietly uh, were serving the Lord, had a gentleness of spirit about them, had a sense of joy uh, about them. And when I went to seminary, I, I left a life in government uh, and, and went to seminary, and I just immediately went without any uh, income at all. And there was an anonymous person who was sending me some money uh, every every month to help me make it bridge from that one life to the other. 
And if somebody had done that and came up and said, I'm giving you this money, I'm too prideful. I would have said, no, you can't give it to me. But I would say, who is this money coming from? And they would always say, can't tell you. Church secretary said, can't tell you. Person doesn't want to be known, but they want to do this. And then only later, and she probably shouldn't have done this, uh, but I'm glad she did. Church secretary, who's a great, great Christian woman, she kind of whispered, it was Leroy and Hattie V doing this uh, all those those years ago. Um, well, that's entirely consistent with who they are, and they weren't broadcasting it. You, you had to know them to be able to see these things and to live in their orbit, uh, to see that just as you would with Jesus himself. And so I think that those are the sorts of things to point someone to that can have much more of an influence than you think. And then, of course, pray for that person. I mean, genuinely pray for that person. Don't, just, don't, don't necessarily tell them I'm praying for you, but pray for them and, uh, and be patient. A lot of times those crises uh, end up um, end up with someone solidified into an even um, a, an even more authentic faith than they would have had before. And just like I tell people with you know a quote unquote midlife crisis, uh, you're going to have the crisis. Have it as early as possible and have as good a one as possible. Because where you don't want the spiritual crisis, where you don't want the midlife crisis, is with someone who never took these things seriously and then has it on a deathbed. Instead, you want somebody to come through that forging, be strengthened and, and shapened up, um, and then on the deathbed to be able to say, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I mean, that's, that's, that's what it's all about. Do you have a question? Send it to me at questions at russellmore.com. Record it on your smartphone if you can and send it as an attachment. And thanks for listening to this episode. If you haven't yet, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe the cover art. You'll find the show notes, including some details you might have missed. This is Russell Moore. Onward. This episode was brought to you in part by The Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.